This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone, I am recording this during my dedicated period while studying for step two. Then shortly after I'll be jumping right back into it and studying for level two. So I definitely should be studying right now, but I took the time to record this because I know that many students may have even already started their clinical rotations this year. So I wanted to make sure that I got these episodes out early enough that it will be helpful for you. This episode is a continuation of some of the frequently asked questions that I get from underclassmen. So in case you don't know, I do have other episodes about clinical rotations. This is actually the third episode in this mini-series. I am an upcoming fourth-year student. It was only a year ago that I started clinical rotations myself, so I knew what I was wondering too. So this information isn't outdated by any means. It's very much applicable to you as well. And even if you're not in medical school, maybe you're in nursing school or PA school, then I think this is going to be helpful for you as well. Of course, I am still going to use language that is consistent with medical school because that is what I know. And so this episode, we're going to cover other specifics like what day-to-day looks like as a third-year student more about a good template for getting a history from a patient. So without further ado, let's get into it. I've been asked before, um, because at osteopathic schools, many times schools do not have their own hospital system associated with the medical school. And my school is included in this, so we have a site that is in town where about a third of our students go for rotations and then the other two-thirds go either somewhere else in our state or they even travel to a different state. But all that means is that how the hospital system is set up, even the one in town, 
is that it's not built for the purpose of training medical students. It's not an academic institution. So that means that a lot of the sites that we have to go to is a little bit of a drive. So that might be typical for a lot of different places. Sometimes it's a longer drive. And so students have asked me, well, what do you do with these long drives? And even if you have a short commute, you're still going to need to drive in the morning. So what should you be doing during these drives? Well, I recommend podcasts, whether you listen to my podcast or not. So I make these episodes. They're always between, with the exception of the one episode that I had a guest on, the episodes are between 20 and 30 minutes, which is the average commute time. But of course... I only have an episode once a week, so you're going to have other days out of the week that, and also on your drive home, that you're not going to have an episode to listen to. I do encourage you to go back and listen to the rest of my episodes, but other podcasts that uh, students have really liked include podcasts that are specific to whatever rotation that you're doing. So one that that I was recommended to listen to was called Pediatric Clerkship, a medical student guide for the pediatric rotation. And then I listened to one called Surgery 101 during my surgery rotation. And then the last one that is always recommended and one that I only recently started listening to a lot is Divine Intervention Podcast. It makes me feel more productive than just listening to music, but I think that Uh, listening to music is a stress reliever in itself too. So sometimes if you're feeling burnt out and you're studying, you're studying all day or you're in the clinic all day and then studying every night, sometimes taking a break with some music is really nice, but podcast is a good way if you want to study. So if you're wondering what my day-to-day looks like, so I always wake up two hours before whatever my report time is and sometimes that's really early sometimes it's like 5 a.m maybe even 4 30 and the reason why i do that and this is even if it takes me 15 minutes to get the hospital i do this because i can wake up and really take my time to for myself and start the day productive instead of rushing around so i can drink my cup of coffee that I have every day, and I can eat a good breakfast, which is important, and I can either make a pretty good dent in my Anki cards, or I can watch a video from one of my video resources. That really just sets sets the tone, and then I leave however long it takes to get there. It's usually 15 minutes to get there, so usually I'll leave at least a half hour at a time because getting there early matters. I talked about this on the last episode. And downtime is going to vary based off of what rotation you're doing. So you want to take advantage of that downtime. Like I said, it's always good to ask your preceptor if there's any patients. You can see if there's anything you can do before you start studying. But then once you have the okay that there's nothing going on right now, just chill, then absolutely take out your computer, not your phone, your computer, and either do practice questions or Anki. Just know that with practice questions, you probably won't be able to do it timed because 
uh, you should expect to be interrupted at any time. Your preceptor will be like, hey, we got something to do. Get up. And you can't say, oh, I'm going to finish my one last question. So Anki is good for that. Or you can do like a question set on True Learn Combank the night before. And then when you're on rotation you can use that time to then go back and review those questions especially the ones that you got wrong and taking notes on the nice little bottom line that true learn has something like that is a good use of your time and when i get home so my rotations varied anything from a normal nine to five to seven a.m to seven p.m to 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. to something like 9.30 to 2.30. So many of them are very, very different. On internal medicine, I would even have like a 7.30 to a 2 o'clock. So it varies widely. So you can hear some of them are 12-hour shifts. So By the time you factor in commuting and sleep, you have maybe two or three hours that you're not in the clinic or the hospital. So it's going to be important to take advantage of downtime and then to use your time wisely when you get home. So when I got home from most of my rotations, I would... In addition to having to prepare for the next day of rotations and to study up on my my patient's diagnoses and to be ready for pimping questions and things like that, in addition to that and studying for the COMATS, which is the osteopathic equivalent of a shelf exam that you have a test after each rotation. In between studying that and preparing for clinicals, I also had assignments that I had to do for the school that included doing modules such as the Aquaphor modules and then also sometimes doing written assignments or writing up a patient note, like a full soap note. So I had some assignments that needed to be done. And so I would usually prioritize those over practice questions because those are things that I had to get done in order to pass the course, right? So I would prioritize those and try to get those done. Uh, some students really knocked out those those assignments within the first week, if not the first weekend. I liked to spread it out a little bit more so that I would do modules based off of what I was seeing in the clinic. And so I was using it as a learning tool and not just a thing that I had to check off my list. And because I did that, I was actually able to start practice questions a little bit earlier. But I would always, when I got home, make sure that if I had to do a module a day to get done during the month, I would do my module first and then I would start practice questions instead of the other way around. And that worked really well for me, but that's going to matter person to person. I did find that on the whole, I feel like I have more free time during clinical rotations than in preclinical because I don't have a test every Monday morning like I did in preclinical. Uh, now it's only once a month. 
and yes, I am still studying every day, but I mostly have a free weekend for most of the rotations, which makes me get a lot of studying done that I feel comfortable maybe doing something every weekend or so. And that's that's really nice. It's it doesn't feel as as rushed. And I I do want to say that I always gave myself an hour of exercise a day, even on those uh, 12 hour days. Um, it was hard, but I made sure that I had an hour of activity each day. And yes, of course, there were days that I couldn't get to it. And I wasn't too hard on myself about that because if I'm doing it every other day of the week, then that's a lot of hours of activity. And um, while I was exercising, I did also listen to podcasts. So I stayed productive that way as well. But I think um, that's just going to be a very individual thing if you have your non-negotiables. And that's true um, at any point in your medical school career that you're going to have non-negotiables and you just have to make time for those. I also am happy to say that I was able to sit down and have a dinner with my husband every night too. That was another non-negotiable. And then I would also have a little bit of free time to play some video games. And that was my stress release that I really needed every day, almost every day. I could make up the time for it. Some days, some of my really late days, I really had to just, just study through it. But definitely important to make some time for yourself so that you don't burn out. And that's going to be um, different activity for different people. Just make sure you're not doing it for hours a day that you're setting a time limit for that. So you've been assigned a patient and you're going to go see them and you don't know what they're coming in for. What kind of questions are you going to ask them? What is a good starting point, even if you have no idea what you're dealing with? It's always good to have a sort of structure or game plan when you're getting a history from patients. Obviously, you want to eventually get their past medical history, past surgical history, uh, their social history, and what medications they're taking. But as far as getting more information about what is bringing them in, so that's called the history of present illness, it works a lot better to have a structure to it. And you may have been taught a different structure and a different template for this, but I'm just going to share with you one that my school teaches and that I use successfully during clinical rotations. And I thought it was a really good starting point. So it has a certain order to it, but the order doesn't really matter. I think uh, for the most part it is a good order, but um, as you go on with clinical rotations, you'll know the questions you need to ask. So um, you can go out of order for it to sound more organic as a conversation and then you can more easily think back to, okay, which one am I missing and ask it. Not every question will apply to every patient, but for the most part, it's a really good starting point. And then you can add or remove different questions based off of what you're dealing with. This one specifically works really well with pain complaints. Always when you walk into a room, you always want to introduce yourself. You want to be clear. You can either use the title student doctor, which I preferred because it sounds a little bit more official, like you're part of the team. 
but you can also say medical student too. Um, so you want to make sure that they know what your role is. Tell them what doctor you're working with too, so that they they know who you're affiliated with. Um, this is especially important in the hospital where you want to be clear if you're working with a hospitalist or if you're working with a referred physician, if you're working with surgery, things like that. You also want to make clear that the doctor is going to see them after you speak with them, okay? So you want to say something like, do you mind if I talk to you and examine you before the doctor comes in after me? Something like that. So then you always want to ask next, what brings you in or what brought you into the hospital? And next, the, the template that I'm using is the OPQRST template. And then A is usually added at the end for this. So O stands for onset. So you want to ask, when did this start? And then the P, the P actually has four P's. So the first one is progression, which makes sense right after onset to ask, has it changed since it started? So if they say it started on Saturday, you say, how has it changed since Saturday? And the next P is prior. Have you had anything like this before? Then the last two P's are palliate and provoke, which just means does anything make it better, which you want to ask first, and then you want to ask, does anything make it feel worse? And then the Q is is two Qs, so it's quality and quantity, which aren't always relevant, but if someone is in pain for quality, you can ask, can you describe the pain? So give it a quality. Quantity isn't really applicable to pain, but it could be for a lot of other complaints. You can ask, for example, how many times a day that someone has vomited, how many times a day someone has diarrhea. If someone has heavy menstrual bleeding, you can ask how many pads they have to use. So something like that. And then next is the R's. And the R's are region, so you want to make sure that you know where where the pain is. And this could also go for, like, numbness, tingling, but for a lot of complaints, this might not be applicable. And then radiation refers to asking the patient if the pain or the symptom spreads anywhere else at all. So we did OPQRS is next. And S is severity and scale. What is your pain from 0 to 10 with 0 being no pain at all and 10 being the worst pain of your life? And so this is, this is on a scale that's very subjective. So many times physicians won't even ask this, but I actually do like to ask this when it makes sense of asking the patient, especially if they told me that it progressed, I'll ask them, what was it out of 10 when it first started and what is it now? And if they told me that they took any kind of medication or tried anything to treat the pain and it either helped or made it worse, I'll ask, well, what was, what was the pain after that, after taking that? And how soon did it go back to the baseline pain? 
So again, that is really only useful for pain and severity kind of goes along with that where you're asking the patient if they would consider it to be mild, moderate, or severe pain, but you kind of get that already from the scale. Those are the S's and then T, there's two T's. One is timing. So you can ask what time of day or what timing of other daily activities does the symptoms occur so this could apply to pain like you have more pain when you're standing and walking around maybe and this can also apply to other symptoms like maybe you have heartburn after meals and then sometimes you might have symptoms that only occur at night like maybe you have a nighttime cough so those are just things that you can ask based off of the patterns that you know from from different disease processes so if someone's really sounding like they have have GERD for example you'd you'd want you wouldn't want to just ask what times of day do you notice it most you'd want to specifically ask about after meals and specifically about laying down at night too you can ask specific timing questions based off of what you've already been given and what you think the diagnosis might be and next is treatment so this is one that i sometimes actually ask earlier as part of the p's as far as the um the progress of the pain or the symptoms in general and then also what makes it better and what makes it worse because a lot of times when you ask what makes it better patients will then tell you what they tried to help it and they can say that it worked but this is included as its own point just to make sure that you're specifically asking have you taken medications for it have you tried something to treat it so this can include if you have knee pain that that might include if you tried to use ice or elevation things like that can be included as part of this it's not limited to just medications so you kind of can guide based of what you think people might try you can specifically ask about it because if you just say what have you tried to treat the pain they might be able to tell you that i tried to take aspirin but they might not know to also say that they tried to rest and resting didn't really help um, because resting might in the patient's eyes not seem like a treatment but for you it provides pretty good information so the last one as part of this template the opqrst is going to be a which they couldn't think of something that started with you for this so this refers to associated symptoms and you just have to remember that a is the last one but you can ask this throughout too if it makes sense but um so associated symptoms really just refers to asking more uh questions about other symptoms that they might have that can add to the disease picture and i would argue this is the most important question to ask and it's actually more of a list of questions because you're asking you want to ask probably at least four other symptoms that they might be having that can narrow down the diagnosis for you. So it's going to be different based off of what kind of story they're telling you about. And you definitely want to ask associated symptoms within the body system that they're complaining about, but you 
really do have to have a holistic view of the whole body and all the body systems to do this well. You want to think of more constitutional symptoms such as fever and chills, um, especially if you have any sort of leaning towards an infectious process. And just know that this is different from review of systems, so you're not going to go through all of the body systems and ask questions. It's going to be very relevant to what they're dealing with, but might not be something that they would know to bring up. If they're having any kind of abdominal pain, you definitely want to ask all of the GI-related symptoms. So you'd want to ask about nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, blood in the stool, and it also helps to also ask about nearby body systems too that might have been confused for the body system that you think you're dealing with. Especially if someone is coming in for chest pain, you want to make sure you're asking cardio-related uh, symptoms, but you also want to ask them about respiratory symptoms. You probably want to ask a little bit about GI systems as well. Something like someone coming in with headache, you definitely want to ask about um, ENT symptoms, like if they're having any uh, vision changes, hearing changes, and things like that. So you want to really be able to narrow down your diagnosis. So you're not only looking for positives, so things that they're also dealing with, but also you're looking for pertinent negatives too. For example, if someone is coming in with diarrhea, you'd want to make sure to know if it's bloody or non-bloody. And if it's non-bloody, that's a good thing to include because you're, you're able to check other things off of your list from the differential diagnosis. So this is really just the way to narrow it down a little bit more based off of the story that you've already been given. And it's definitely a learning curve. Even if you've had preclinical teaching doing standardized patients and OSCEs, doing this back to back to back with patients and trying to form a differential diagnosis on the spot is really exhausting, especially at first. As you go on, you'll start to notice patterns and, you know, learning what is common and just picking up more of the uh, decision making and the clinical thought process as you're working with preceptors and they share with you the questions that they would have asked and maybe point out the questions that probably weren't necessary for you to ask. So you'll get better with it, but I think that this is a really great starting point and you might have used a different template in school and I would just encourage you not to forget about those kinds of templates because many times you'll go in with a patient and you have no idea what's going on and it's hard to think out of questions to ask so this is at least a good starting point so that you can get the patient talking about what's going on and you'll think of follow-up questions based off of what they're telling you. I also want to reiterate that this is not a hard and fast rule that you have to go in this order. As you go on you'll pick up your own sorts of styles and I know at least in my school for preclinical practice with taking a history and writing writing in HPI, a history of present illness, it did have to be very structured and kind of had to be in the order that we were taught just because um, you really have to learn it and solidify it before you can deviate. So following the rules before you break the rules type thing.
And so now is the point in third year uh, when you're starting clinical rotations, now is the point where you can work with this a little bit. So now is the point where you want to use your own style um, once you feel comfortable. And the reason for this is that your preceptors that you're working with actually don't really care that you go in order. They just want to see that you're getting the information you need and that you get the assessment and the plan that you need. For the, your first few rotations, you really do want to prove that you can get and present a really solid HPI. But as you go through your third rotations, the focus is going to be more and more on that assessment and plan piece. So it's really important for you to um, have an HPI that is guiding you towards a really solid assessment and plan. So you do need all of the pertinent information, but it doesn't really necessarily have to be in the order that you may have been taught and even the order that I just went over. I said this on the last episode, but just to say again, physical exam is based off of their chief complaint and what they're coming in for. I think a good thing to start with is auscultation of the heart and lungs, auscultation and palpation of the abdomen, uh, checking for edema and checking for upper and lower extremity pulses. And as I go through this physical exam, I usually do review of systems as I go. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at Firstline Podcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.